I want to talk this morning about being a people of promise, about being a people of promise. It's a good thing to remember at times like this that we are a people of promise, that whatever time we find ourselves in, that we don't need to be subject to the season, we don't need to be affected by the climate, but our lives and our mission is directed by something which is outside of the season and outside of the climate. And we're going to read a couple of passages of Scripture here which speak to being a people of promise. We're going to look at a, a, a psalm that was written. It was written by a group of people. It was written in the context of a time of challenge, of a great time of change. And then we're going to read a passage that James wrote also to a bunch of fellow believers who are in a season of change. And I just love how we see these um, connections through the whole of Scripture, through Old and New Testament, which show us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we're going to read together through Psalm 46. This is group uh, written by uh, people of Korah, the sons of Korah. Um, and here is what they say about God. They say, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. I love this passage here. I love the first verse. If you were David, go back to the uh, slide number one. God is our refuge and strength. Whether we see him there, whether we feel like it, he is our refuge and our strength. He is a very present help in trouble. He is very present. And whether or not it seems like He's present, whether we can see His closeness, in the midst of life, in the midst of what's going on, God is very present. And His desire for you and me is that we would experience, that we would recognize, and we would receive of His presence when we're in times of trouble. And frankly, at, at all times. And as a result of that, the people of God, despite what happened around them, there was no fear. It didn't matter what was going in the earth. But when they made a choice to find refuge and strength in God, then the river of God, the river whose streams make glad the city of God, that river flowed from within the people of God. And the river that... God wants to be gushing from here is designed to flow out from here. And the further out it goes, it goes, it's counter to 
to logic or physics, but the further out this river spreads, the deeper and deeper it would get. And the plan of God for you and I is that we would find our refuge and our strength in God, that we would know his presence, and the river of God would be bubbling up and flowing out of us. Amen? And so, as we're going to read as a, as a complement to that, um, the passage in James, and then we're going to look at what it is to be a people of promise from the life of Abraham. And so I'm going to read James 1. This is a super well-known passage. I'm reading from the Passion Translation, which we've talked about before, which uses the Aramaic understanding as well as the Greek um, to get a, a more full understanding of how the language had been spoken at the time. And so this is what... um, This is what James says here. uh, Imagine this. Let's set this up a little bit here. Imagine if you are the person who the letter is written to. You are someone and you are in a season of life where there are things which are challenging and you're going through difficulties. James wrote to a group of people like that, and this is what he says. My fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy you can. Are you crazy? What is wrong with you, James? For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you to endure all things. And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection, or another word for this would be completion, into every part of your being until there is nothing missing and nothing lacking. James is the type of friend who... When you call and describe going through a time of, uh, of trial and difficulties, I don't know if anybody here has ever experienced anything like that, but you call your buddy James and you take five minutes and you describe the situation you're in and James is like, yes, awesome, woo! And you're like, James, what is wrong with you? Did you not hear what I said? But James was so captivated by this. He had such a a, a revelation of who Christ was and such a revelation of the grace of God that he genuinely had this, this conviction as he looked across the church and he looked across this group of believers here that are going through such trials that he was deeply convicted that as they submitted themselves to God, as the psalm has described, that as they chose to find that place of refuge, the place of refuge is a place where you get protected from that which would come from outside of you. That is what a refuge is. When you look at that word, it is a place where you can position yourself so that you are now protected. That James knew that despite what people were going through, that there was a place where they could find refuge and they could find that strength that would bubble up and empower them from within. So much so that when he heard of these struggles and when he heard of these, of these trials, he was actually filled with excitement 
because he knew what it could produce in people. And so his attitude towards difficulty was one of, you have no idea how amazing this is going to be. And I think for me, my typical response is probably about the opposite of that. But there is something that we can learn from James that will enable us to become the people who God has called us to be when we will accept what God is doing in this season and we will see Him for who He is and not just look at the difficulty itself. Now, a lot of people are freaking out right now on Facebook about what is going on politically in this country. And we would do well to understand that God is a God of promise. God is the one who is in charge. And the destiny of us as a people and a nation and a church is in God's hands. He is the one who appoints leaders. And we are rightly to make wise decisions and pray for them. But He is the one who is in charge. And so my confidence of faith is in Him. And so I can find strength in God and I can find God as a refuge no matter what is going on around me. And this is something that faces every believer. We're going to look at the life of one of the early fathers of faith. We're going to look at Abraham. We're going to call him Abraham just because it saves me trying to figure out at what point he changed his name. Um, we're going to call him Abraham. And we're going to look at him and his nephew, Lot. You have two people that received a promise and then responded and walked out that promise. One ended up with an amazing, fantastic um, response and life, and the other one was brought down low and into destruction. And how they responded to their circumstances is the difference between what the end of their lives became. And there's a lot that we can learn from them. And so we're going to read um, quickly here in Genesis 12 and verse 1 through 4. So before we get going, I, I just want to set this up a little bit. We, 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 we talked about Abraham. Um, Abraham was one of a number of brothers. He had a brother, I believe, called Terah. Um, not T-E-R-R-O-R, um, but T-E-R-A-H. Um, Terah, who had a son called Lot. So Terah was Abraham's brother, so they would have grown up together, Abraham with his brother, but his brother died, leaving a son Lot. And so Lot became close to his uncle Abraham. And the, the, uh, the impression you get as you read the story in Abraham's response is that Abraham took Lot in. When Lot's father died, that Abraham saw responsibility towards his nephew, that he would care for him and he would join with him and that he would be part of his clan. And so we read here when God speaks to Abraham in Genesis 12 and he says this, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land which I will show you. I ain't showing you now, but if you go, I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. 
And that was a promise that to Abra- from Abraham, blessing would come to all peoples, not just the Israelites, not just the chosen people of God, but in the New Testament, this verse is quoted and used to explain how the blessing of salvation of Jesus Christ came to the Gentiles and all men. And so this amazing promise is given to Abraham. And there's another, it's got a third slide here, David. There should be. Okay. Um, so he says, And all the peoples of the earth, earth will be blessed through you. And verse 4 says, So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. So listen here. The promise came to Abraham, and we're told Abraham did what God told him to do, and taking Lot with him. So Lot was part of the promise that Abraham received. And off the two of them went to fulfill the commission that God had given to them both. And they set out on this journey, not knowing where they were, were going. And they had a lot of adventure on this journey, uh, let me tell you. And so, because the blessing of God was upon them both, They began to prosper. They began to, everything they did just grew and there was fruitfulness and multiplication. And so they saw the blessing of God. Their crops were just, uh, you couldn't barely, uh, sorry, their livestock you could barely number. Um, They were tremendously prosperous. And so there came a point where their livestock was so great that they could not be sustained on the same piece of land together. And so we then read that they came to a turning point in life where they would have to choose what they were going to do. And so Abraham said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is it not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. If to the right, then I will go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that all the valley of the Jordan, it was well watered, and this was before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It was like the garden of the Lord. It was like the land of Egypt. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and he journeyed eastward. Thus, they separated from each other. Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley, and he moved his tents as far as Sodom. And so here we have this picture where the choice is on as whether you live by the promise and you trust the one who promises or you trust in yourself. And Abraham, because he knew who he was in God, he listened to God, he was at peace, and he let Lot do the choosing. He didn't care what the land looked like. It didn't matter where he was going because he knew what God had said. And he trusted in that. Lot, on the other hand, being insecure and fearful with respect to the promise, he looked to try and figure out where he should go 
and he chose the well-watered land. And we're going to look at three points that we can learn for ourselves from how Abraham and Lot lived. And point number one is this, that when we are faced with responding to the promise, we need to let God do the choosing. It says in verse 10 that when they came to this point of decision, it says in verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes. And then it says, verse 11, so Lot chose for himself the valley of Jordan. And the first thing that we need to do whenever we're facing receiving a promise is make sure that we're letting God be the one who does the choosing. I'll tell you this, God's eyes are way better than my eyes. And when I'm left to my own devices to try and figure out anything that is to do with a a promise that's to do with my inheritance, I want to try and always make sure I'm letting God be the one who does the choosing. Anybody here married? We got a few people. Now, there's three really big decisions I've made in my life. I would say three primary decisions that I have made. One of them, and the most important, is a choice to accept Jesus Christ for who he is and make him Lord and Savior of my life. And that takes trusting what he said and not what I see. The second one was finding a wife. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. And then the third one was choosing where to live. (laughs) I don't think I made a pretty good choice there. Um, But when it came to each of those choices, I recognized that I would be wise to make sure that I'm listening to the one who's given the promise and I let them do the choosing. I remember when I was a young man, 14, 15 years old, and I saw all my friends dating girls and going out with all these girls and getting into relationships here and there. And I remember watching what was happening and seeing the effect of that on them. And I said to God at the time, I... I don't want to waste my life and waste myself. I want to find a wife that is a good wife, a wife that is of your choosing, where I know your blessing is. So, Will, if I leave that to you, I said to God, can I trust you that you will take care of me and provide me with a good wife? And surprise, surprise, God said yes. And and I had a conviction that There was a promise for me to have a good, healthy marriage and family. And that was what God wanted. But I recognized that inheriting that, to inherit that promise, I needed to trust the one who'd given the promise and and let him be the one who I submitted to with the choice. And as I went through life, I, I I made a decision to to submit my choices and my, and my decisions in the area of marriage to the Lord. And I, my belief was that I wanted to fall in love with one person only and give my heart to one person, and I believed that that was what God had for me. And so when I 
met Diana, and when I got to know her, all of my heart was leaping and was drawn towards hers. It was awesome, I can tell you. And I said to God, I said, Lord, you direct what my heart is feeling, and I'm going to submit to you in this, because I know that your choosing is better than my choosing. You know, none of us can predict the future. As much as we think we can know what's going to happen on the other side, there are always going to be things that you cannot foresee. But God can, and He is the perfect fulfiller of the promise. And I remember I was praying over some time, and God spoke to me through Psalms 37, which says, um, 37.4, which says, delight yourself in me and I will give you the desires of your heart. And God said to me, Diana is a desire of your heart because you've delighted yourself in me and you've trusted me. And she's the one that I provided for you. And off I went with the engagement ring. But I can tell you this, that that I trusted God's promise because His choosing is better than my choosing. Amen? Number two, don't settle in the place of compromise. If you rely on your own eyes and you rely on what seems best to you, you can find yourself getting very close to a place of compromise and getting close to the enemy. And we read of Lot in the passage that we just read that because he trusted in natural things, in fleshly things, he looked for the place which he thought this would be easy land to cultivate, so I'm going to go there. It brought him right up to the edge of the city, Sodom. I'm not saying that you guys are any here, any way here uh, linked to Sodom. Um, it brought him right close to the place of compromise. And the Bible tells us that city was evil and they were full of evildoers. But if you get to the point where you begin to trust yourself and you feel like your own providence is as a result of your own faculties and your own judgment, you will find yourself content to stay close to where the enemy is. And you will compromise on where you should be because you will find that as you're trusting in yourself, you will rationalize the place where you find yourself to be. And that is exactly what Lot did. I was talking to a friend the other day who was recounting a story of a friend of his, which I'm going to tell you in a second here, which was a powerful image of how the enemy works. The enemy wants you to think that he uh, can be left to his own devices and will do you no harm. And I'm sure that Lot, when he was camped outside Sodom, he knew it was a bad place. He knew it was. We, we, we learn that as we read later on. But when he had the choice to run from Sodom, if he chose to, do, to trust on what God had said, he didn't take that choice. But he rationalized how it was okay for him to stay close to the enemy. The result was is that when judgment and destruction came on Sodom, he ran then and boy did he run. And you can run now or you can run later. 
But when, when Lot ran later, it cost him his wife. A friend of mine was telling me a story of um, uh, a rather bohemian lady that was known to him in England who was the keeper of a large python. So um, there are a few crazy people in the world who keep massive snakes. Diana's sister at one time was a herpetologist and she owned 400 snakes and had them all in a room, um, like it was all temperature controlled and everything. And mm -hmm, she got bitten by one. But there are people out there who have snakes, uh, snakes as pets. And so this woman had like a 15-foot python that lived with her in the house. She had had this thing since it was um, very, very young. And it had grown over the course of time. And it was part of the family. So it had the run of the house. And it would generally um, slither up into the piano. It would sleep typically overnight within the piano. And it roamed around the house. And most of the time, pythons, uh, you know, they're, they're pretty docile. And so this woman had become used to the snake. And it grew and grew and grew and got bigger and bigger and bigger. But there came a point where the snake was starting to behave in strange ways. And it wasn't sleeping in the same place it used to sleep. It seemed, its habits seemed to be different. And she remarked on this and pondered. It then came that the snake was not eating what it had been eating before. That its appetite had dropped a great deal. And so at this point, this woman became a little bit alarmed about the snake. And this poor python that had been with her all this time was obviously getting sick. And just like anybody that had a pet, whether it's a dog or whatever, she was concerned for its health and for its longevity. Um, and she went to see the vet. And she described what was happening with the python. And she could tell it wasn't feeling well. It was no longer eating. And it is starting, in fact, coming onto her bed, which it had done at times before. And instead of sleeping in the piano, it was lying next to her. Poor thing, she was thinking. This poor snake, he's not eating. He's feeling just ill. He's feeling sick. And my heart just goes out to him. What can I do, she said to the vet. I really want to help him. So the vet said this to her. It may seem like your snake is unwell. It may seem like he's trying to get close to you because at a time when he's unwell and vulnerable, he just wants that closeness. But all the symptoms that you're describing, let me tell you what they are. The snake, a python, will expand its stomach by not eating. It's opposite to us humans. The, the longer it goes without eating, the more expanded its stomach will get. During the night, it was making clicking noises, which is another thing. She thought there's definitely something wrong with this in, in, in digestive, uh, its digestive system, something like that. So what it is doing is this. It has starved itself, its stomach is large. It's coming 
up on the bed next to you because pythons of this size, fully mature adult ones, they will lie next to their prey to see if they can fit them in their stomach. And the clicking noise is the dislocation of its jaw as it's getting ready to dislocate its jaw, to open its mouth once it feels it can fit its prey in its stomach. I want to let you know, sizing her up, I want to let you know that the enemy at times may feel like he's comforting to us, like we can get close to him, like he'll do us no harm, just like Lot thought about the city of Sodom. But his goal is to get as close as he can to you and devour you. And unless you and I are ruthless in our pursuit of the promise and ruthless in making no compromise of being close to the enemy in the place of compromise, he will end up sidling alongside and getting ready to devour us. And that is exactly what happened to Lot. Point number three. Repentance restores promises. We've talked about Lot. We know that he didn't trust God, that he looked to the natural self and he trusted himself. And Lot gets a bad rap. But the thing we forget is that Abraham too was tested and that he too made a decision at one point when the promise was long, long coming that he would find a way to make the promise happen through his actions. And there he submitted to Sarah's suggestion and he gave, he brought forth a child through his servant, not through his wife, not through the one who God said the child of promise would come. But having done that, he recognized the folly of his way and he turned again to God, the, the provider of the promise. And in his turning, he found that God restored the promise to him. And I want to let you know this morning that if there is any area of your life where you have, you know that I compromised there, that I didn't do it God's way, that you can become the person of promise. You can become the one that's the blessing bringer, the one full of the grace of God, that it provides a legacy for all those that follow you because just like Abraham, repentance can restore your promise. Lot never found the place of repentance and his legacy was perversion and all kinds of craziness. But Abraham returned to the giver of the promise and his promise was restored. God will restore to you and I in the most unusual and expected ways because he is the one who is the giver of the promise. I was telling a friend the other day of a situation where I had to trust God 
and for, for provision, and God came through. I was, um, I was a young teenager. I was riding my bike. Um, I got this awesome bike, which I just loved, and I was riding home one day. I was probably about 12 years old, and I was coming towards my house. So there was a long, steep downhill, and then the hill went sharply up, and then my house was round here on the left. And so I was on my bike, I was going down this hill, and I was pedaling as fast as I possibly could, trying to get as much speed as I could before I hit the hill, and then I had to really stand on the pedals and just crank my bike up to get up to my house. And so I was probably doing 25, 30 miles an hour, I was beginning to go up the hill, and I was coming by my neighbor's house, and I was standing on the pedals trying to go as fast as I possibly could, and just on the downward stroke, the chain came off the chain ring. I completely lost control. I went flying into the side of my neighbor's brand new car, and my metal handlebars ground all the way down the side of his car from the front to the back. It scored all the way through to the paint. It, 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 it had a dent, a crease, all the way down his car. And there I was, I was lying on the ground, and then you're faced with that decision of where you know you have a choice. <laughs> God always gives us a choice, and he will leave it up to us to make the choice. I lay there on the street, kind of slightly dazed, looking up like with my neighbor's car looming, and immediately I thought, I can either get on my bike and I can run, or I can do the right thing and go and deal with this and talk with my neighbor. So I had friends around me like, quick, get on your bike, get going, go, go. <laughs> and then a couple of, couple of good friends who were like, no, you shouldn't do that. So I got on my bike and I went to my dad and I said, dad, let me tell you what has happened. It's good to have a father who knows how to take care of their children, isn't it? And I explained to my dad what has happened and said, dad, what can we do? He said, well, let's pray right now. And just ask God for help. So we prayed. And I felt a peace come over me. I, I just felt this terrible foreboding. The cost to repair this car in today's money was probably three, $4,000 to replace panels down the side, respray it all. It was thousands of dollars. I was 12 years old. And my dad was a teacher. He didn't have much money. And he had four kids. And I just thought, I've ruined this for my dad. My dad now is going to have to take care of my mistake. But we prayed together, and my dad had this amazing ability to just release peace into the situation. And I felt, I felt pretty peaceful and good after we had prayed. He said, I will go and talk to John or whatever the neighbor's name, and I will tell him about it, and I'll tell him I will take care of this. And so he walked around, he spoke to my neighbor. Neighbor went out, looked at the car, and was like aghast at what had happened in his beloved car. It was a Ford Capri. It was like the equivalent of a Ford Mustang. It was like the top-of-the-line model, like a Mustang GT. He just loved this thing, just got it. My dad said, I'll take care of it. So John went, said, I'm going to go to the body shop tomorrow, and I will get a quote for this, and then I will let you know how it is. So my dad said, I'll come and see you after work tomorrow. And so I came back from school the following day, and I didn't see John's car there, and I thought, oh, he's at the body shop. And my dad went round there to talk to John and to find out what the cost was. He knocked on the door. John came to the door, and my dad said, John, um, you know, let me know what's, 
what, what do I owe you? And John's looked at him and he said this, <clears throat> I totaled the car out this morning. And <laughs> yes, that morning, that morning on the way to the body shop, he totaled out the car. He was perfectly fine. No one was injured. And my debt was erased. And John got to get a brand new Ford Capri in the, co in the color he actually wanted instead of the one that the dealership gave him. And so I want to let you know that if you are humble before God and if you turn to God, God can take care of anything possibly that you get yourself into and he can turn it around and restore it for the good for you and those around you. Amen? Let's stand and let's pray for the Lord. Father, we thank you that you are the God of promise. And I thank you, Father, that we are all called as children of promise to a great future, that you've called us to be people of influence. You've called us to find success wherever you've placed us. You've called us to be a group of people out of which your springs of water and life flow. And so, Father, we commit this morning that we will, we will retain the promise, that we will trust in your eyes and your choosing that we will not rationalize what we do and sleep by the enemy and that we will turn and repent to you if we have compromised and that as we do these things, we will be able to walk into and live out the promise that you have for our lives. So we each of us individually commit to you today that that is our profession and that is what we shall do and we will live as a people of promise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.